Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone. I hope you're doing well and I hope that you are ready for today's episode because if you thought that the previous episodes were angsty, well, this one is like angsty top level because today we're here to talk about episode 8 of season 2 of Downton Abbey. So the last episode of season 2, I know that there's the Christmas special, but let's just say that this episode kind of close a chapter and the Christmas special is a bit more jolly. <laughs> I called it the one with the Spanish flu. So yeah, very obvious, but at least if I tell you that, you know exactly which episode I'm talking about. And well, yeah, I hope you're ready because this episode is angsty, but I have some deleted scenes for you. Well, actually parts of scenes that are very upsetting and I can tell you that I was glad that they were not on the show. So, well, let's just start, shall we? So, like I said in the title, the Spanish crew is here. Cora already talked about it last episode, but now it arrived at Downton. We're still in 1919. And first I'm going to talk about how the Spanish flu impacts life at Downton. And then I'm going to go in detail about each storylines because obviously the characters that are ill are on other storylines. So just going to set the Spanish flu atmosphere. The first one to be ill is Carson. And when Mrs. Hughes sees that he's not well, she tells him to lie down. And he's like, I can't. We have dinner. The Crowleys are coming. Miss Swire is coming. We, we, we can't. I, I can't be ill. So he says, you know what? Ask Mr. Mosley to come. Then it's Cora who's ill. You see that she doesn't feel well when she's in her room and O'Brien is finishing to dressing her. But she comes down anyway. And then when she comes down the stairs with Mrs. Hughes, Mrs. Hughes sees that she's not well. And she even asks her, are you sure you don't want to lie down? She's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, during dinner, it's confirmed that she's not well. And so she leaves to rest in her room. During the same dinner, where Mosley is here to serve at Carson's place, you see that he's also not well. And then, well, still at dinner, they talk about the flu. Isabel says, well, he arrives at Downton, like Dr. Clarkson says that he has patients who have it. And then, well, Mosley is not at all well. So they're like, okay, like Robert says, everyone is falling like nine pins. So Mosley now is not well too. And then Lavinia is not well either. Then Mary takes Lavinia to her room to rest a bit. You start to worry because it's already like it's the fourth person that is ill in less than a day. And obviously, when you worry, you need someone to uh, cheer you up. And Violet is always the best one to cheer you up. She says, Wasn't there a mass ball in Paris? When cholera broke out, half the guests were dead before they left the ballroom. Thank you, Mama. That's cheered us up no end. I love this moment because literally it's this is a moment of crisis because Spanish flu it was a tricky disease. We're in 1919, so it's been a while that it started. People keep falling ill or dying. And Violet just here to watch her and run up and say, well, maybe we're all going to be dead before the end of the night. Thank you, Violet. But then Clarkson, he says that Cora, she's not too bad. And well, Lavinia is sleeping, so I'm going to see her the next morning. And he says just if she wakes up, give her aspirin and cinnamon in milk and actually cinnamon in milk is to bring her temperature down little fact 
because I asked myself why is cinnamon American actually it's to bring temperature down so now you know but then after seeing Mosley he realized that Mosley is not ill Mosley is drunk and why Mosley is drunk we're going to talk about it later and with Cora being ill you discover a new side of O'Brien like we knew her being not that cold like she had the heart we see that with Mr. Lang we see how she was very sorry about what she did to Cora and she tries to actually make up for what she did but we have not seen her like that she takes care of Cora but not just taking care like she used to do as a dismay like she's she's becoming a nurse for Cora at first she says I'm gonna stay in her room but then in the morning she's not better so O'Brien is here with Mary and Edith and try to help to bring her temperature down O'Brien then she's in the kitchen with Mrs. Patmore and Daisy and you see how shaken she is like she has tears in her eyes she's not well at all because well Cora is not getting better so you don't know if she's going to die or not like she says it's a fatal illness what do you think will happen with the fatal illness like the fairies come <laughs> we have never seen her like that and she even says that she wants to say something she, I, but I don't know if she hears me and recognize me and Mrs. Mappo she, she tries to cheer her up and say well whatever happens I'm sure she knows what she did for her and it's like no you don't understand Mrs. Patmore, she's like, well, you can work with people for 20 years and you don't know them at all. And we know what O'Brien wants to say to Cora. Then later when she's with her, you think that Cora, she starts to wake up because she says that she asks if it's O'Brien, she talks to her. So first O'Brien, she's like, oh my God, she's listening to me. Uh, so she starts to say that she did something once that she bitterly regrets and that she, she wants Cora's forgiveness. But then she realized that crush is not really there. I mean, really, like the, the tears in O'Brien's eyes. First time I saw the episode, I was like, whoa, okay. So we went from, uh, I want to see her eat dirt to I'm almost crying because she might die. <laughs> well, I mean, lots of things can happen in, what, five years. Kassan, he's better. So that is one thing we're happy. Because obviously when you see that, when we know how many people died of the Spanish flu, you know that we have three people that have it and you know that one has to die. It's like with the war, it's, to be really accurate and truthful, one has to die. So like, who? And when you see, well, <laughs> how Cora is, you're like, oh my God, not her. Because, well, now we know Carson is better, so it's not going to be Carson. Well, apparently. But Cora, she's way worse way way worse like she has blood coming out of her nose she is ill like she's throwing up it's just talking about it makes me ill seeing people ill makes me ill like uh, seeing or hearing hearing is even worse people throwing up makes me sick <laughs> so um i know we always praise elizabeth acting in season three for a certain story and i'm not going to talk about now because i don't want to cry right now but can we just praise for this one too? And Zoe Boyd too, the actress who plays Lavinia, because I was watching that and I thought that they were really ill. And it made me ill, truly. So yeah, like I said, Cora, she's worse. And Dr. Clarkson says, if she lasts the night, she live. So you hear that, you're like, okay, not gonna lie. First time I watched the show, I really, really thought Cora might die. And I was like, where is the point of me watching that if Cora is not in it? 
I remember I was so shocked and I thought, what the hell? <laughs> because Lavinia, she's all right. Right now, like you see, she talks with Matthew. Like She seems fine. But then Lavinia, she's worse. But like way, way worse. Dr. Clarkson says it's the worst. And you see his face. He's looking at, at Sybil because Sybil, she became a nurse again when everybody started being ill. And you see how they look at each other. And it makes her understand that there's nothing more to do. Like, it's the end. She's going to die. And oh my god. Obviously, everybody is shocked that Matthew is shocked because she was fine like a couple of hours ago. Like, how? And so, in the end, Lavinia, she dies. But Cora, she lives. Because to be honest, the first time you watch the show, you are not sure, like, who's going to live. Maybe you were. I wasn't. Because Matthew and Lavinia were supposed to get married. You know, and then we had Cora and Robert. They were so distant from each other. To me, I didn't know. With Matthew and William, I knew which had to die, but that I didn't. So I'm quite relieved, not gonna lie, that it's Lavinia who died and not Cora. But I was still sad. I'm going to talk about that in detail when we're going to talk about like the storylines where they're in. And so about the Spanish flu, I thought this would be my French word of the day, flu, because we're Spanish in French is Espanol but flu is much more common, so yeah. In French, flu, it's grippe, G-R-I-P-P-E, and it's feminine, so it's une grippe. Yeah, very, very cheerful too, but I mean, <laughs> it's the episode, that's the theme of the episode, okay? And just to give you a couple of facts, the Spanish flu started around March 1918, so when the war was still on. The first person who had Spanish flu was not Spanish, but because it was the war and there was a lot of censorship, nobody wanted to know that it was this kind of a new illness that was going because they didn't want to frighten the men at war because they wanted them to continue the fight. So the first people that died, that had Spanish flu and died from it, you didn't know what it was. And Spain was not in the war. So the country that had the censorship. So it was the first country to talk about this illness and to tell the details about the symptoms and the effects that it had on people. And that was in May 1918. So that's why it's called Spanish flu, because it's because of Spain or thanks to Spain that we knew about this illness. That's why it's called the Spanish flu. And the flu killed more people than the war. It sounds crazy saying it like that, but it's true. So yeah, that was the little uh, history facts, because why not? But so, we said that Carson was ill and he asked Mosley to come. But in this equation, Thomas isn't here too. Because Thomas is still here, because he hasn't got a job, he has nowhere to go, he has no money. And Carson, he wants Thomas out. He even says, downtown is not a hostel, like, leave. You made such a point of not being a servant anymore, our ears are ringing with it. And he's right, you're not a servant, so... Because Thomas, he's living there for free, because he's not a servant anymore, and he hasn't said that he wanted to be one again, and he's not working, so... The guy is literally living there for free. So I can understand that Carson is not happy. And, I mean, Carson wanted to get rid of him for a while, so he's not really pleased about Thomas staying. Even O'Brien, she tells him that you can't not have expect him to let you stay here for that long. Like, 
I mean, she even says it. She even says, oh, I shouldn't bet on it that they will mind you staying here for a week or two. And I think it's more than just a week or two. And she says that you need to find work. But it's like, well, yeah, but there's so many people that are looking for work. How am I supposed to find one? And like I said, when Carson, he has Mosley to come. Thomas is like, why Mosley? I mean, I'm here. You know, he's with Mrs. Papmore. I said, well, I could have done it. You know, I know how to serve a table. And Mrs. Papmore says to you, well, you always say you're not a servant anymore. So why should we have thought of you? Thomas says, well, I just want to be helpful. Oh, and Mrs. Papmore, she says, I'm afraid being helpful is not something we associate you with. Oh, I love it. And she's right. I mean, Thomas, he brought this on himself because he has never been kind or nice or helpful. So obviously now that he's in a bad situation where there's not a lot of people that feel sorry for him because, well, that's his own fault. And so to go back to Mosley, we said that Mosley wasn't ill, he was drunk. But why was he drunk? Well, Anna, she's explaining the wines to Mosley. And actually, at the same time, she's explaining it to us. And you realize they drink so many different wines for one dinner. Like, you know, you have two white wines, one red, one like, like okay, how many are there? And you see him, he's like, what? But you see that he's trying to, to learn everything as quickly as possible. <laughs> I love this scene, really. And so then before the dinner starts, you see Mr. Mosley, he's tasting the wine <laughs> because he wants to be sure that this one is the lighter one because for one course it's a lighter one than the other. And, you know, do you really think they're going to notice that? Well, maybe, but, you know. And so even Jane says, why is it important? As long as it's white, just go. I mean, they know Carson is not here. I mean, come on, we know them. They're not like really strict employers if you put maybe not the lighter one. The word's not going to end. Well, for Carson, maybe. But for Lord Grantham and his family, the word is not going to end. But Mr. Moses is like, no. I mean, I'm supposed to represent Mr. Carson. I want to do everything right. But then when he serves, you see he doesn't seem well. And, well, he's not well at all. And so the doctor says, well, no, he's drunk. Because he wanted everything to be so perfect that he tried and tasted all the wines, maybe too much of it, and so he's drunk. And I've got Mosley. Sometimes I think Mosley is, is maybe the best character in Downton Abbey. Mosley, it's a mood, and I love him. He's amazing. I already said that Kevin Doyle is amazing, but let's just say it one more time. Kevin Doyle is amazing. Well, Mr. Carson is ill. So Mrs. Hughes, she takes care of him. And Carson was like, well, I'm still not well, so maybe ask Mr. Mosley to stay here until I feel better. And Mrs. Yusei, she's like, well, I don't think it's a good idea. I love what she says. Neither my patience nor his liver could stand it. Oh my God, I mean, Mrs. Yusei, she's the best. I already said it, but if she wasn't there, the house would crumble. I mean, Carson said it, you know, when she's not here, they all fall to pieces. Without her, they're lost. Like I said, Thomas, he didn't understand why I didn't ask him to help instead of Mosley. But now mostly he can't help anymore. So Thomas, he decided that he will help even if nobody asks him to. Apparently wants to come back as a servant because he needs it. I think he doesn't want to ask it because I think he realizes that they probably would not take him 
So if he shows that he can be helpful, then they will be like, well, look, he helped, maybe we can take him back. And Richard Carlyle has decided to come to help. So Mrs. Yoshi has to prepare his room. She has so many things to do and she doesn't know where to start. And Thomas is like, well, you know what? I'm going to make the rooms and I'm going to do it. And she's like, well, I have no money to pay. He's like, cut it rent. I do it. This is going to be fine. So he does it. And he even makes tea for Richard Carlyle. And he brings a tray to Carson in a way to say, oh, hello, Mr. Carson. I hope you're all right. Look, I have brought you a tray with food on it. Yay, look, I'm helpful. And when actually he brings the tray, Mary is here in Carson's room because she wants to see him, to see how he's doing. I love it. Their scenes are always so cute. She's not angry at him anymore about him not coming to Hugsby. So everything is fine. And she even warns him about Thomas. She's like, watch out because I'm not sure he will want to stay a footman forever. But Thomas, he doesn't stop here. He says, I'm going to serve at dinner. Well, it's not really dinner. It's a buffet because they can't really eat dinner because everyone is ill. But he still serves the wine and, and takes care of the dishes and stuff. And he has put his livery on. Almost like, well, I just decided that I'm back in service. Yay. And then Carson, he comes to his office because he wants to see if everything is ready. And Thomas is here and he says, well, I think I've cleaned everything we needed. But, you know, if you want to check. And Carson, he says, thank you to Thomas, which is something we never heard him say. He says, I wish I knew how to repay you or thank you Thomas like well you you'll find something but his face with this smile because we don't used to see Thomas with this smile it almost feels fake <laughs> but you know you know exactly why he did all this it's for them to ask him to be back but I love it how he never says it you know you just say I just want to be helpful oh Mr. Carson you'll figure out how to thank me and then after the funeral Mrs. Hughes and Carson, they talk about Thomas. And Mr. Carson's like, well, I think there's no point of thinking we could get rid of him now. And Mrs. Hughes is like, well, why does this not come as a surprise? Like, you know? And well, like I said, this whole plan by the black market need to not work for Thomas to stay. And we're kind of happy because even if sometimes he's really a jerk, I kind of like him or like disliking him sometimes. So we're happy if he's back. Now about Daisy, it's not much, but we haven't had a storyline around Daisy since William. Actually, it's kind of a continuation of the William storyline because Daisy, she had a letter from Mr. Mason, so William's dad, and apparently he wants to see her. He shows by with Miss Papmo and she's like, well, obviously he wants to see you. You're his daughter-in-law. I mean, that's obvious, you know. And Daisy's like, yeah, but no, it's not that simple because, you know, the whole I didn't love William and everything. Miss Papmo is like, okay, 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 I'll leave you alone with it. Okay, okay. But then she has another letter and Mr. Mason is inviting her to go to his farm. Now Mrs. Hughes is here with Miss Papmo. So well, obviously, like again, you're his daughter-in-law and you're the most important thing to him nowadays because he has no one. No, he has no one except you because William was the only thing he had and now William is dead. So, And Daisy, she's very uncomfortable. She said, well, so he has... No one because he hasn't got me. Because again, she feels really bad about marrying William and all this. We already talked about it. And then after the funeral, Daisy, she sees Mr. Mason on William's grave. So she goes to see him. She tells him that she was here because it was the funeral of Lavinia. And he says that there's nothing more wrong than when young people die. 
very sad and Daisy she starts crying and I think this scene is so sweet it's very moving because he tells her there's no need to hide your tears from me and he says it's good to see how much you loved him and I thought it's really sweet because it almost feels like even Daisy she doesn't understand why she's crying is she crying because she's stiff is guilty about marrying William or is she crying because she's sad that William is dead or maybe both and I already said it but I am convinced that she loved him more than she says she did. And so it was short, but it was really sweet. And it's actually the beginning of a new relationship, Daisy and Mr. Mason. You know, it started being William and Daisy, and now it's Daisy and Mr. Mason. And I really, really love this new relationship that is, uh, we're just starting here. Ethel, last episode, you remember, she tried to meet the Bryans. And, well, didn't really work. Like, the father was really angry. Well, it didn't really work. But now, surprise, Mrs. Hughes, she receives a letter from the Bryans to say that they want to see the baby. She's so surprised that she talks about it with Carson and I'm even sure that I want to say that they can see him because the last time they were here, like, the husband, he was not very nice. But she tells Ethel anyway. And Ethel said, well, I think, yeah, I'm ready to let them into Charlie's life, so... I want to meet them, but not here because she doesn't want them to see where she lives. So Mrs. she says that she will organize a meeting at Downton. So she talks about it with Cora. That's the moment when they're walking downstairs and Cora does not feel well. And you realize that she says to her that there's no reason for you to be here. And Cora, she's really, she said, oh, so I don't have to see that man again. <laughs> Great. That is good news. And then Ethel is here. The Bryans are here. And so they're together with Mrs. Hughes. Their plan is to raise the boy but raise him well as their grandson but without him knowing who his mother was so basically they take the boy away from his mother and she never see him again and obviously ethel she's shocked says well i thought you could help me i didn't thought you would just take my son away from me even mrs hughes she find it a little harsh so but why can't she be his nurse so she would take care of him no no, because then, I mean, I'm sure she would never be able to keep quiet. So she might tell him at the moment that she his mother. And it's going to be really hard for his future. Well, anyway. And Ethel, she tries to speak to the mother because she thinks maybe if someone can help me, it's her. But it doesn't go anywhere. That's the offer. Or she keeps her son, but without the help. Or she gives her son to them. And they take care of him, but she might never see him again. And remember last episode when I thought it was really funny that the actor who plays Mr. Brian, Kevin McNally, was Billy Slogan, Mrs. Hughes' husband. It's for one of those scenes because they're really like the four of them together and they really kind of argue. Like you see Mrs. Hughes, like she's like, this man can't stand him. So it's, I think it's even funnier. So I really like him. And at the end of the episode, Ethel, she comes to see Mrs. Hughes to give her answer. And she tells her that she doesn't want to give away her son. She even asked Miss Susie, you think I made the right decision? But you see on Miss Susie's face, like she is not completely sure that she made the right decision. And I think it's a tricky one because Ethel, I'm not sure she has a job at the moment. Like for a long time, she managed to get through every day thanks to Mrs. Hughes because Mrs. Hughes gave her food. So I can understand why she wants to keep him, but I'm not sure it was the right decision. But at the same time, giving him away and never see him again, it's really hard so I don't really think there's a right decision there's just 
well one might be better for the boy but I, I can understand both sides well even if Mr. Bryant is actually very mean and I just hoped she could have you know be his nurse or be a maid or whatever in their house so she would see him you know that would be great it's not the end of Ethel's story so we just have to wait and see bananas now let's talk about Bates and Anna Anna in this episode I love her Anna in this episode she made me cry more than once I'm telling you an evening she tells Bates that she wants to marry him and he's like well we can't I mean that's not maybe a good idea it's like well no listen to me I'm sure there's a lot of things that are going to happen you know, with this story with your wife committed suicide I'm sure it's not the end of it I'm sure lots of things will happen and I've been through everything with you like literally she's been on his side since the beginning since day one since the first episode of Downton Abbey so she says so we are going to get married okay because if we have to face this then we will face it as husband and wife and will not be moved to the sidelines to watch how you fare from a distance with no right even to be kept informed I will be your next of kin and you cannot deny me that this scene I mean she's so sweet and it's so intense you see how he looks at her like he has tears in his eyes like he's proud he's like i'm in love with this woman like like she's the best thing that ever happened to me and yes i mean it's anna so obviously but this scene is so intense and oh god i love anna truly so then he tells her that he did it he booked a day so they're going to get married and then at the moment anna she's with mary and Mary, she can sense that she has something on her mind. And so Anna tells her, well, Mr. Bates and I are going to get married. And Mary's like, what? He's like, well, you know, whatever happens next, I want to be his wife. You know, I want to be someone if we have to face this together. I want to have a real place in his life, like an official place in his life. And like when Mary says, well, it's very brave. And Anna's like, well, all very stupid or both. No, but I'm, I'm on Mary's side. I think it's very brave. And while Anna says, well, she doesn't know if it's a good idea because everyone is, is ill. And Mary, she's like, well, people that are ill are not going to get better <laughs> if you stay here. So go, you can go get married. And then there was an deleted scene that was shot because I've seen it. That was really, really sweet between the two of them. Um, they talk about Lavinia and their wedding because Lavinia, she just died. And Anna, she says, I still can't believe it. I mean, there she was, young and pretty and packing her trousseau and now we're laying out black for a funeral. And then Bates says, are you saying you want to delay? It doesn't have to be tomorrow. And I answers, no, no, I don't want to delay. Who knows? It might be me next and I'm having Mrs. Bates on my tombstone or I won't lie still in my grave. I love this scene because I love the last line. If she dies, she wants to have Mrs. Bates on her tombstone. I think yeah, I'm still with uh, Mary. It's brave, not stupid. And from day one, she met Mr. Bates. There's only obstacles in the way. Obstacles, troubles, so many things. I mean, you really have to want it. But then, here they are. They are the Ripon Register office and they're getting married. This is very sweet because it's hell, like a downtown. Someone just died. Some people almost died. <laughs> like really, nothing in the rest of the world is right except just for the two of them right now getting married and oh so very sweet oh i love it oh and then when anna is getting mary ready for bed mary she leads her to a room that was prepared by jane 
and she says that it's for her and Bates. And this is so sweet and so nice of Mary. Like, oh, Mary and Anna's relationship, I love it. And so then Anna and Bates, they're together in bed. It's very lovely. I like when he says, well, Mrs. Bates, you've had your way with me. But even then he has to bring the fact that, you know, their lives are going to be difficult. He says, well, you know, they're going to call me names for bringing you into my troubles. But I love what she says. Mr. Bates, we've waited long enough to be together, you and I. And now that we're man and wife, can we let that be enough? Just for this one night. Oh, this is so sweet. And then they kiss. It's so sweet. And I love how he plays with her hair when they kiss. Because it's true that women, they always have their hair pinned up. Even to sleep, they braid their hair. Their hair are never completely down. Except if you're like really intimate with somebody else. And I thought this is sweet. Not really this scene. Everything is so sweet. Like, oh my God, this is the perfect end of the season. Like, great, finally, a little bit of happiness because... We need a happiness. We're like, yes, this is so great. Finally, they're together. Well, you know what I keep saying about Bates and Anna? I just say it again. Happiness is boring. Because after the funeral, when they're back from the funeral, there are men that are waiting in the servants' hall for Mr. Bates. And they're here to arrest him. So Mr. Bates is arrested for murder. This is nice. And this last scene, this last shot, and you have all the servants, they hear their shot. Like, it's a cast, it's like, what? And this last shot of Anna is just perfect, but it's just so heartbreaking. And I would say it's a really good way to finish an episode, but come on, they didn't have, what, 10 minutes of happiness? This is, this is horrible. Like, I'm really mad at Julian for not have waited maybe at least one episode more where then he would have been arrested on Christmas Day. So, you know, not very jolly. But anyway, not really. I mean, come on. So they got married. It was so nice. And oh, yeah, and then you go to prison. Oh, my God. Really, there's no rest. I don't think there's a lot of moments where they're like together and happy. Like really happy. If you count just the show. You're like, there's always something. <sighs> it's, it's tiring. Th their relationship... I'm tired just to talk about it. Like, yeah, I just want them to be happy. They were happy, you know, being married and they lasted, what, four days? I mean, come on, give them a break, okay? But, well, it's not the end, obviously, because now Mr. Bates, uh, well, he's in prison. And Anna is wretched, <laughs> obviously. So, yeah, what a way to finish the season, truly. You know, we had an episode, it finishes on Vera Bates being dead. Now we have Bates being arrested. There's a pattern. But yeah, like I said, we just have to wait and see what's going to happen next. Bananas. To continue with complicated love stories, Sybil and Brenton. Last episode, she had finally made up her mind. She said, I'm ready to travel. You're my ticket. Let's go. So Sybil, she's with Edith, Anna and Mary in Mary's room. And she tells them that she wants to announce tonight that she's going to marry Tom. So she's going to leave. She even says, well, Tom, he has a job in a newspaper. He's a journalist now. So we are going to Dublin. The girls, they try to dissuade her. Let him go to Dublin and then you see after if you still want to go. Said, but I'm sure I want to go. I don't have to give up my word. If they are giving me up, that's their problem. I'm perfectly okay with being friendly with everybody. <laughs> Mary, she's like, being married to the chauffeur. 
like if she says it out loud she will try to understand the thing she doesn't and so apparently it's Sybil and Branson who will announce it tonight and like okay this is not going to end well oh well everybody's in the drawing room and Branson comes in I just love this scene obviously Robert thinks it's for him so it's like yes I'm here well I I can see that <laughs> I just love this tiny exchange because Robert must have been like what do you want and so something is happening and Violet's like why is happening and when Branson says, well, we can say it now because your grandmother, she has a right to know too. And Violet's like, why don't I find that reassuring? Oh, she's the best, Trish, she's the best. And then, well, they know why it's happening. And Robert, he's very angry. And all the time you've been driving me about, bowing and scraping and seducing my daughter behind my back. I don't bow and scrape and I've not seduced anyone. Give your daughter some credit for knowing her own mind. How dare you speak to me in that tone? Well, for the whole, I've not seduced anyone. I know that, you know, Sybil now, she made up her mind. She wants to go. But for a long time, she wasn't sure and he tried to persuade her. So, you know, I've not seduced anyone. Uh, yeah, maybe, but kind of. Maybe not seduce, but persuade, maybe a bit. And then Violet, she wants to know what's, what is Sybil's plan because she says, well, she must have something in mind. And so Sybil, she tells them her plan, which is to go to Dublin because she has a job in the paper and they get married and she will find a job as a nurse. So she tells them the plan and Cora, her face, oh my God, poor her, she... She's so shocked by Sybil's plan. She's so your plan is to live with him unmarried. So actually the plan is to live with his mother until they are married. But when they're married, yes. But Cora, her face, she has the same face from the beginning of the scene. Even from a longer distance, you see her eyes. She has such piercing blue eyes that you can see because they're so open because she's so shocked. She's like, what is happening? You see, she's on the verge of tears. And you have Robert, he's really angry. And Carson... He's shocked. Like, you see his face, like, what is happening? Julian, he made a comment about this scene, saying that the relationship that the family might have had with the former chauffeur, well, it's not over. Brenton, he knows perfectly that from the moment he stepped into the room that he would not be the chauffeur anymore. And then in the servants' hall, Brenton and Anna, they talk about last night. And she's very, very sweet and nice to him. She says, well, I know it wasn't really easy last night. He said, well, we should have spoken out long ago. And then he decides to tell everybody in the service hall. And so he announces that he and Lady Sybil are going to get married. And Carson arrives at that moment and he is angry. He says, Have you no shame? I'm sorry you feel like that, Mr. Carson. You're a good man. But no, I have no shame. In fact, I have great pride in the love of that young woman and I will strive to be worthy of it. I love what he says because it's not exactly the same speech that he had before when he tried to persuade Sybil. I think now, because now he realizes she's in love with him too, it's a different, I don't know, the way he speaks about his love for her is a, a bit different and I like it. Still not a big fan of the two of them, but I like them better now than at the beginning of the season. And then there was um, this scene where Robert is in Sybil's bedroom and where he tries to speak with her. And she says, so you've nothing to say against Tom except that he's a chauffeur. Robert says, don't be such a baby. I'm not asking you to agree with the system, merely to acknowledge it. And then Sybil answers, but I don't acknowledge it. 
You want me to give up the man I love for a system I don't believe in. Where's the sense in that? I really liked it because first she says that she loves him. And it's the first time that she said it. I think we understood that she is not with him. It's the first time that she said it. And she's right. You know, give up the man I love for a system I don't believe in. There's no sense. And we knew that she was going to leave this system one way or another. We knew it from probably from the trousers. <laughs> Maybe we knew she was going to be the rebellious one and she would want to have a different path than the one that was bid for her. Then Violet is with Edith in a drawing room and they talk about Sybil. Edith is like, well, Papa isn't with her now. And Violet, she says, I'm afraid it'll end in tears. Maybe, but they won't be Sybil's. I used to think that Mary's beau was a mesalliance, but compared to this, he's practically a Habsburg. But you know what? I think I would prefer to have Tom as a son-in-law or brother-in-law or whatever than Richard. Okay, he's a chauffeur and he's Irish, but if I have to choose, I take Tom. Because Richard, he's too scary. I don't like the guy, every, everything he does, he buys it. It's everything to do with money and no. So, you know, I know because of a position he's better, but if I had to choose, I choose Tom. And not just because I've seen the whole show and I've seen how he evolves, no, no. Just at that point, I choose Tom. In the same scene, Edith, she's a bit down because, well, there's a preparation for Matthew and Lavinia's wedding. Mary, she's engaged. Sibbo is going to get married to a chauffeur. And she's like, I have no one. She almost has given up on the fact that maybe she will get married one day. And so Violet, because like I said, she's the best to cheer people up. She says, don't be defeatist, dear. It's very middle class. But then she said that she's going to support her father with Sibbo. So she arrives in Sibbo's room. Robert, he's shocked by Sybil's attitude because every threat that he makes she doesn't care he doesn't understand that I think he doesn't seem to realize that she really doesn't care about money about the position about court about London or whatever I don't think he realizes that because he has been so brought up in the system that for him it's almost unimaginable to go out of it if you're born into it it makes me think about something that Julian said back then episode one I think it was Robert loves his children. He doesn't really know them. I think he doesn't realize that he doesn't know Sybil. <laughs> because then when he talks about it with Cora, he's still angry. He thinks that this is a result of them supporting her. You know, he says the mad clothes, talking about the trousers, um, the nursing. And Cora, she's right, says that's not fair. She worked to be a nurse. She's a great nurse. That's, that's a respectable job. And he says... But in the process, she's forgotten who she is. Has she, Robert? Or have we overlooked who she really is? If you're turning American on me, I'll go downstairs. And you know, he should have listened to his wife because she is right. Sybil has always been like that. We saw that since the beginning. Like I said, I think the moment you realize that she will be the rebellious one is the trousers. So it's episode four. We knew it, but he, he didn't acknowledge the signs. He didn't see them or he didn't want to see them actually. He preferred to be in denial. Even with like the rally for women's vote and all that, he should have seen the signs. I mean, there were a lot of signs, you know. She gave a lot of signs and he didn't see them. He just decided not to see them. And uh, during dinner, Violet is like, well, I'm happy to see you here. I thought you uh, would be up with the tray. And she's like, why? You know, I'm not eloping like a thief in the night. I might have done once, but Mary and Edith have talked me out of it. And at that moment, you have Mary and Edith. They're like, oh, 
yeah, we haven't told you about that. But it's like, ooh, the plot thickens. But I love how she says it, like, ooh, okay, <laughs> action. <laughs> it's great. And so while Robert is still angry, he doesn't want his daughter to go. So he goes to see Branson in the village. And he wants to offer him money so he would leave. Branson, when he realizes that, he's upset. You know, you're trouble, my lord. You're like all of your kind. You think you have the monopoly of honor. Doesn't it occur to you that I might believe the best guarantee of Sybil's happiness lies with me? Well, if you're not prepared to listen to reason... I'm not prepared to listen to insults. Then I will bid you a good day. And I want you to leave the village. Even though she'll come to me the moment I call, do you really want me to leave now when I will take her with me that same hour? I love this scene because, again, Robert, he judged his character very poorly. I'm on Branson's side on this scene because just thinking that by giving him money he would abandon everything, I think it's stupid. Maybe some people would do it, but money can't buy everything. It's funny because that's something that Richard Carlyle would have done. I'll give you money and you leave. And I thought it's funny because Robert, he can't stand Carlyle, but what he did there, it's exactly like Branson said, like everyone of his kind, he thinks it's easy and just, you know, I'm going to give them money and he's going to leave. And he feels insulted by it. And I can understand it. I mean, he wants to go with Sybil because he fell in love with her. That we know since he told her when he took her to the training college in New York. We know that he loves her. So I can understand that he feels insulted. And Robert is not ready to accept the fact that Sybil wants to go because she wants to go and she will, whatever he says, you know. So maybe I probably wanted to give him money to make her realize, look, he's not a good man. I give him money and he left. And I don't know why he thinks that. Maybe because he's a chauffeur, because he's not from his same social class. I don't know. But I thought it was really a bad move of Robert to do that. Maybe a desperate one because he's desperate at that moment. But... Yeah, wrong call. Truly wrong call, Robert. And well, he lost. So, And then after Lavinia's funeral, Robert goes to speak to Sybil and Branson. And so, well, she tells him that she's going to leave in a day or two and that she wished they could have parted friends because she doesn't want to be angry with him. And he gives them his blessing. And Sybil, she's so happy. Literally, this is the thing she's been waiting for. She just wanted that Oh my god, this scene, it's every time it moves me a lot. She's so happy. And then Robert even says, No, I'm I'm gonna give you some money, not much, but you're gonna have a bit of money. So happy. Even Branson, he's shocked. And I know Sibyl, she's so happy that oh, this is so sweet. And I like what he says to Branson. If you mistreat her, I will personally have you torn to pieces by wild dogs. And I love it because it's a belief in the fandom that this line was said to Robert by Cora's father. And I love this idea. I'm really into it because I can easily picture young Robert being so anxious by the idea of getting married. You know, because I picture young Robert being very anxious about a lot of things and having her father literally telling him that. Really, I can picture it. And I love this idea that then he said that to Branson because someone told him that before. And I don't know, I like the idea, so I'm sharing it with you. And then Tom and Robert, they shake hands. And I love it. I think it's a great end. But obviously, Violet, she has to come in and say, so you've given in. And says, well, she was going to go anyway, so it's best to pie as friends. And Violet's like, well, we need to work with what we have to minimize the damage. So we're like, but do we have a family called Branson somewhere? Maybe we can do something about it. Like, I don't know, 
other what she has planned but it's violet so she always has something a positive but yeah i like that it ended that way with peace i really like it Whew. and now let's talk about our love square lavinia matthew mary richard yay so it's the preparation for matthew and lavinia's wedding Matthew even says that he would like to go up and down the aisle without his stick because now he can walk, but he still has to have his stick. And Lavinia, she even says, well, up, yes, but down, you have me to help you. And so because the wedding, they receive presents and Lavinia, she receives a gramophone and <laughs> Violet, she looks at it like it's going to attack her. Surely she's like, oh, why is this? I don't want to be near it. I mean, Violet, a new technology. And so on this gramophone, Matthew, he plays some music when he's alone in the hall. And Mary, she looks at him from the gallery. Then she comes down and they talk a bit. They're alone. She says, I don't know this music. And he says, well, I quite like it. I think it was from a show that flopped. And then they dance. I love this scene. And so they're dancing. And she says, but can you manage without your stick? And he answers, you are my stick. And then she says, we were a show that flopped. And then they keep talking and Matthew tells her that he's so sorry that it ended up that way for the two of them. And he says that Violet told him to marry her, you know, and he says, well, but I can't because of Lavinia and the sacrifice that she made. And she's like, yes. And he says, however much I might want to. Like, I can't do that even if I would want to be with you. He literally says it. And then they look at each other and they kiss. And I love that scene. So beautiful how it's made. I love it. I think this is one of the best scenes of the show. Truly, I love it. Like, because you've been waiting for that. I mean, because we knew that she was still in love with him. And now he says it, that he wants to be with her. But he thinks that he shouldn't because of Lavinia. And she doesn't deserve to be shut out just because now he can walk again so um yeah but then lavinia comes down the stairs and well they just tells her that she stayed the night and mary she leaves to prepare a room and matthew asks her how she's doing and she says that she feels like a nuisance he says what well, you can never be that and she tells him i mean it matthew don't ever let me be a nuisance don't ever let me get in the way please when she says that you're not stupid you know that she saw something because the way that matthew says it is like she is an obstacle to him being with mary it's not exactly how he said it but it is so the fact that she says that you realize that she or she heard something or she saw the kiss and she's not stupid she knows that there's something between mary and matthew and so at that moment i feel so sorry for her because she's a nice girl it's not her fault if well mary and matthew it's complicated but then isabel she tells them they have to delay the wedding because well she's still a bit ill and you know it's best because well cora is still ill so it's best to delay the wedding but isabel then she says to matthew that lavinia has been lucky because she's not too ill but then matthew comes to see lavinia to tell her that he he's done it he told everyone that they're going to delay the wedding they talk together while she says things to him and this scene i love it because you see how it was hard for her to say those things and i really do like lavinia so she says to him that maybe they were lucky 
that they had to delay the wedding because now they can think about what they really want but still want to do it. And she tells him that she heard what he says to Mary. She saw what they did. And she says, well, I'm not angry. It just, I just realized that it's not me to be, she said, queen of the county. It's not me to be countess of Grantham. You know, I'm an ordinary person. I'm not made to be countess of Grantham. And then she says, well, but when you were wounded, I thought maybe I was made to look after you. But then when I saw it with Mary, I thought how nice you look together. Like you were made to be together. And so she literally tells him that she thinks it's very honorable and nice of him to still want to marry her. But she says, but I don't want you to marry me if you're in love with somebody else. And I think it's very strong because through the whole season, we see her as very, she looks like a very innocent, nice, like a sweet little lamb, you know, sweet person. And to say that, you realize she has strength in her. And I thought this scene was very, very powerful. And you realize he, he doesn't know what to say. The only answers that he has is, what you say is pointless. Mary is marrying somebody else. And I mean, Lavinia is like, well, is she? Because, you know, she doesn't really believe that she will marry Carlyle. But the only answer that he has, it's not even, no, but I love you too. It's, I can't get married to Mary because she's marrying somebody else. So it's almost like he confessed to her that, yes, I would prefer to get married to Mary. I don't know if you agree with me, but it's how I felt it. Like the fact that his only answer was, well, but she's not free <laughs> when we all know that. If Matthew will go to her and say, marry me, she would say yes, and she will go with him wherever he wants. So I thought this was really a great, great scene. We talked about Mary. We talked about Mary being engaged to Richard. Well, like I said, Richard comes to help. You know, even Robert says, I don't really know how helpful it would be, but you never know. And so Mary, she's with Richard and he asks, well, how's Lady Grantham? Okay, how's Lavinia? And then she understands. She understands why he's here. Say, oh, you're here to make sure that if Lavinia dies, Matthew will not fall back into my arms. So again, the guy is very manipulative. I don't like him. I'm like Robert, throw him over. (laughs) No, let's get you married to Matthew. Much better. And he's not there a lot, but you feel his presence in the episode even if he's almost never there and even then when at dinner and like i said it's it's a buffet and she wants to sit next to matthew we said i have a seat for you here so next to him very very far away from matthew well i can understand why he feels threatened because uh he has reasons to be surely but since we don't really like him and want mary and matthew to be together we don't care but then Sybil comes to see them to tell them that Lavinia is worse. And so Matthew goes in, Edith goes with them, and Mary, she wants to come with them too. And Richard, he tries to hold her back and don't go like, you owe that to her to not be here when uh, she dies. And she's like, I don't care. You really see her face. You do not control me. I do whatever I want. And so they're all in Lavinia's room. And that's when Clarkson says that it's the worst. And he says, well, no, she's not going to make it. And Matthew, you see, he's shocked and he's panicking. He said, what is, how is that possible? We talked together just before she was fine. Then just before dying, she tells Matthew, don't you think it's better? Because now you don't have to make any choices. You can marry Mary. And she tells him, be happy for my sake. But it's so moving. Like I said, I think in this episode, Zoe Boyle was extraordinary. It's so moving. You see how it's like, 
no, what, why are you saying? Like, no, don't go. And she dies. And this shot above the bed with the music is just so beautiful, but so, so sad. But my God, this is so magnificent. I love it. And actually, like I said, they have one room built in the studio. Usually it's for Mary's room, but then they changed the setting if it's for somebody else. And for this shot, they shot it in the studio because they do not have ceilings in the studio. So they can do shots like that because a high clear, they can't do that. So that's why they have a room built in the studio because it's easier to move the camera. But this shot is just so magnificent. I love it, but it's sad because really thought she was right. You know, she really thought she would be fine. It's so sad. And so well, then we see Matthew walking to the castle and he has an armband and you see his face. It feels like it's not him, like he's a ghost, like he's not really there, like he's empty. Even you feel like there's no light in his eyes anymore, like he's completely lost. And Robert, he tells him that they've taken care of everything, you know, and he really wants to help. So if you want me to do something, I do it. And, and he says that Mary wanted to see him and he says no. Like immediately and Robert he's a bit surprised about Matthew's reaction but then Matthew is like okay so everything is fine here I am going back home it's heartbreaking and then at Lavinia's funeral Mary she is with Matthew and he tells her that Lavinia she heard them she saw them when they were dancing and he says to her that she gave up because of us she died of a broken heart and he says we could never be happy now don't you see we're cursed, you and I. There's nothing to be done about it. Let's be strong, Mary. And let's accept that this is the end. This moment, it's awful because you... Okay, it's sad, but Lavinia now, she's dead. She even says to Matthew, be happy for my sake. So get married to Mary. So like, okay, so we're going to get rid of Richard. Mary and Matthew are together. And now Matthew's like, well, we can't ever be happy because because of us, she died. So we can't be together because that would be dishonorable. And you're like, okay, great. And Mary, actually, because he told her that it's the end. So she says, yes, of course it is. How can it not be? I don't think it's what she wants. But, you know, he said that he was the end. So, well, the only other possibility for her now, it's Richard. So for the first time, she is really nice to him. She's like, oh, I want you to come back with me to the castle. Like, we never saw her like that. And so this is really sad. <laughs> yeah. But so that's time for my music of the day. And today, well, it's Taylor Swift. I mean, you couldn't avoid it until the end, okay? La the last two episodes, it wasn't. So I had to put Taylor Swift again. Like, it's me. And I lived, and I learned, had you got Oh 
So that was You All Over Me by Taylor Swift. And I know this song is about breakup, but I thought the idea of I've still got you all over me, I thought it was exactly what is happening between the two of them. How much Matthew tried to not be in love with Mary because he wanted to marry Lavinia and be an honorable person, he can't because he had feelings for her and the feelings never really went away. And for Mary, it's the same. She tried to say, no, I'm not in love with Matthew. She tried to say it, I think, for herself. And then she decided that she would not say because she realized that she is. But she's still lying to him. I lied and I cried and I watched a part of myself die. Because I think that when Mary says, well, of course it's the end. How can it not be? I think that's what she thinks at that moment. Because whatever they would do, they still got each other all over themselves. Whatever they say. So it's very depressing. And now let's dive into something even more depressing. Cora and Robert and Jane. Because, well, we have to. She's literally in the middle of it. And let me just warn you. I know this episode is very, very, very hard for Cobra Cheapers. But there's some dated scenes or dated lines that hurt so much. And when I read them, I was like, are you kidding me? And I suffered, but I decided that I didn't want to suffer alone, so you will suffer with me, okay? You know, we, we're in this together. And yes, 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 I still have some excuse for Robert. Not as much as last episode, because really, I'm angry. But um, yeah, I'm still a Robert apologist. And just to begin with something that has absolutely nothing to do with the current storyline with occurrence, angst of Cora, Robert, Jane, all that. At the beginning of the episode, really the beginning, the opening credits end, you see the castle, then you see from the gallery, Cora, Mary, Lavinia, Isabel, and I don't remember if there's Edith or not, but you see them from the gallery. At that moment, you hear Cora say something. And I hear some talk about this in the fandom because it's weird. Because it's not in the script book. If you read the script, what Cora says, because we believe it's Cora who says that because it's her voice, is written anywhere. When you see the episode, I don't even think, I've seen it so many times now, I don't remember, but I don't think there's even subtitles to what she says. But we can hear her say to Lavinia, I just hope you remember your wedding. I don't. I've seen this episode, this part, so many times, I can assure you, and I've read people talking about it, that's what she says. And this is so sad when you think about it. Like, she doesn't remember her wedding with Robert. I mean, yeah, sad. Um, I have nothing more to say than just that. So, Cora, she's here this episode. In the scene where she talks with Robert about Sybil, you see that she's already not well. And he's so focused on Sybil and angry when she says the truth about the fact that they have overlooked who she really is. And him saying, well, you're turning American on me, and all that. He doesn't even realize that she's not feeling well. Because we, we saw it, you know. And he doesn't even realize that because he's so stubborn. But then, when she leaves at dinner because she doesn't feel good, Robert, he does look concerned. But what I love is that he says to her that he can sleep in his dressing room. And I love it because he says that casually in front of everybody else. 
And well, last season, he says that they were pretending that they were sleeping apart. But now they don't even pretend anymore because he just says, well, basically him saying that he can sleep in his dressing room is him acknowledging the fact that he doesn't. I just like the fact that, well, they do not really pretend anymore. But then, you know, this was a little thing to enlighten the mood because now let's go to the things that break our heart into millions of pieces, the things that make us turn into crumpled up piece of paper. Yeah, it's still my favorite metaphor. Robert comes out of his dressing room and at that moment, obviously, how convenient Jane arrives. Why her? Why at that moment? Like, And so he just told her that he forgot to say to Bates that he went to be woken up early. She tells him that her son got in into Ripon grammar thanks to what he said, so he's happy. But she can see that he is uh, not happy. And so she asks him how he is. And he says that he's wretched. And what he says breaks my heart. He says that he feels like he lost his youngest child and probably forever. And so he says that because he feels like he lost her because she would go to Dublin with Branson. But it breaks my heart. Now it really breaks my heart that he thought at that time that he probably had lost her forever. Bananas. And so well, she says that she wants to help you know, because he feels bad and she wants to help. He's like, oh really, you want to help? And so he offers her his hand. She takes it and they go into the dressing room. I'm angry because it was predictable that if he would ask her, she would say yes. Well, she, no, she's not, it's not like he offers her his hand and she takes it right away. She hesitates a bit, but then she takes it. But he's the one who's inviting her. So yes, yes, she's the one who says that I really want to help, but he's the one inviting her. And then let's go into cut parts. This is going to hurt, guys. I'm telling you. And the way I'm saying that for laughing, but it's like, it's nervous laugh because this is awful. So it's all part of the same scene, the scene where Robert and Jane are together in the dressing room, but there are some parts that were cut. So I'm going to go through the whole scene. I'm going to tell you which part were cut and which part weren't. But usually the part that weren't, you're going to hear them say it. You know, if you had to suffer, let's just really, really suffer, you know. So Robert is kissing Jane and he tells her, if you only knew how much I've longed for this already, I read that. I'm like, <laughs> okay, breathe. Everything's going to be fine. Absolutely not, but let's just pretend it would be. So he says that. Then Jen says, have you really? Because I have. I know it should feel wrong, but it doesn't. Not to me. And then Robert answers, right or wrong, by God, it feels free. Free of the war, free of duty, free of my life. I've lived so long according to my duty, and now I find myself constantly wondering why. Oh my god, and you know why I'm really angry? I'm really happy that that was not in it. You know why I'm angry? Because one of his duty was to marry an heiress. So Cora is a part of one of his duty, and even if now they're in love, well, we do hope he still loves her, it was technically a duty, the first thing. So, oh, I'm angry. <laughs> But his first thing I thought was one of his duty was Cora. So um, yeah, I'm sure she will be delighted to know that um, you are wondering why. But I think this has to be with um, Sybil too. So then again, then we have the scene that we see. So they kiss again. <laughs> so there were more kisses. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Just imagine we had more kisses with Robert and Jane than with Cora. So if we had even more because uh, of those scenes, thank God it was good. Oh my God. <laughs> 
So they kiss and then Bates knocks on the door. To quote Cora, thank the Lord. Bates, I've never loved you as much as I love you right now. And this home is a bit weird because Bates, he kind of sense that something is not right. You feel it in the way that he speaks to Robert. So I don't know if he saw something. I don't know if he sensed that something is happening, but you can feel it on his face and the way he talks that, yeah, he sensed that something is not right. So then he, he knocked because he said, well, you never told me when you need to wake up tomorrow and stuff. So yeah. And then Bates leaves. And Robert, when he closed the door, you see like he takes a breath and like he starts to realize or like he starts to come back to the real world or I don't know, but like something is happening. And he says, This isn't fair. I'm placing you in an impossible situation. Well, he broke the barrier. He broke the barrier like so many times and now she thinks it could happen. So she tells him, well, I want to, you know, I want to be with you. She actually tries to kiss him again, but he doesn't let her. And she even says, okay, so now you don't want me now. And he says probably the worst line ever. Well, no, it's a great line, except the fact that he says that to Jane. That makes it the worst line ever. He says, I want you with every fiber of my being, but it isn't fair to you. It isn't fair to anyone. But then, so he says, you know, it isn't fair to you, it isn't fair to anyone. And then another part that was cut. So Jane says to him, you didn't say that a moment ago. True. <laughs> That's not what he said. And Robert tells her, and in that moment I have woken up. I am myself again. Oh, my dear. I wish I had it in me to break the rules and glory in it. But that isn't the man I am or could be. And then he says, I wish I were different. I wish everything were different. And Jane, she tells him, I don't want you different. I like you the way you are. Thank you for that. I will cherish it, truly. She tried again to kiss him, but he doesn't let her. And she leaves. Julian made a comment about it. He said, that actually, first, first, he attended to put them into bed. But then he said that he didn't feel really truthful. Because he said that with his wife dangerously ill and with everything else swelling about him, Robert would not do that, not once he had time to think. And so Bates' intervention wakes him up. Once he has woken up to the fact that he's kissing a maid while the woman he loves is his wife, then he can't go on with it. So thank you, Julian, to then rethought what you wanted to do first, because that is already bad enough. So, um, yeah. And, well, I, he's right. I think he's right. And I'm kind of sad that they cut what Robert said I wish I had in me to break the rules, but it's not the man I am or could be. And we go back to him saying that he lived so long according to his duty. He was brought up like that. He lived so long in this system and he's content with it. Like he lived in it, but he's not, he never really felt the need to break from it. But he doesn't like change. So I agree when Julian says that if he thought about it just one second, you will realize that this was really a bad idea. And actually, I'm still on the, she's a pre-war Cora, and so it's almost like being with her reminds him of being with her when he was younger. Because Violet, she didn't like Cora. So when Robert must have told her, I'm marrying this one because uh, she is loaded, he must have thought, I think, a bit, even if I think his father was on his side, he must have thought a bit to marry her. 
Robert, you fell in love with Cora. So a year after they were married, well, a year, not a year, not as long as that. Now you see the Violet, she kind of likes Cora, but being with her and being in love with her was kind of um, not rebellious thing. I don't think that, but out of the tradition. Them being in love still now, well, now it's complicated, is kind of out of tradition. They kind of broke some rules, you know, him sleeping in her bed and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that he became rebellious because of Cora or thanks to her. But I'm sure that there's a lot of things that he would never done if he wasn't married to her. But that's because I've read too many things. So I made my own pre-core in my head. That's why we need Julian to do one. So please, Julian, do it. It can't be a coincidence that she looks like Cora. I mean, come on. And sometimes I feel like when he was younger, before he was Earl of Grantham, he had less responsibility. He was a Viscount, yes. But I think what he wants to be now is Robert. And I think he's only Robert with Cora. But Cora is not available. Well, she's not available before because she took care of you know, and so And now she's not available because she's literally fighting for her life. I think that's what he wants. Because he is nothing anymore. He doesn't want to be an Earl because uh, he's not a soldier, because the army doesn't want him. At the moment, I don't think he even really likes being Earl of Grantham because he doesn't understand what he's supposed to do. Being a father, I mean, he tried and he feels like he failed because his daughter, one is going to marry a guy he can't stand. Another one's going to fly away to another country. Husband, well, he literally fails because he's literally cheating on Cora and he didn't have a proper, really nice conversation with his wife for a while. So I think he just wants to be Robert. He doesn't know with who he can be except Cora. And so she's here. She wants to help. He wants to feel something. I know there's something about maybe, maybe he's even think of power. Like he doesn't have power over anything at the moment. And so he wants to have control over something. And that is something he can control a bit, you know. I don't know. But what I hate is when he said, I wish I was different and stuff. And she says that she doesn't want him different because she loves him the way he is. This is such a Cora thing to do. She literally has been trying to cheer him up since the war started. And he was like, yeah, but it's not enough. And now she is telling him that. And he says, I would cherish it. Are you fucking kidding me? Sorry, but truly? Like, ugh. In the excuse I tried to find him, doesn't mean I am not angry because I am at that moment. Every time I watch it, I scream at my computer screen, thinking that if I scream loud enough, he will hear me and wake up and realize it's the wrong idea. Obviously, he doesn't. But I agree with Julian when he says, you know, there's a moment that he wakes up and Bates knocking his moment he wakes up when he realizes that, no. I think he wants to do it, but he doesn't because he realized it's wrong. You know what I mean? He still crossed the line, but actually it makes me think about what Mary says in Downtime in a New Era. I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but she says, no, um, I'm too old-fashioned to think that what I want is the only thing that matters. And it's a bit like what is happening now because he wants at that moment to be with Jade, but he realizes that technically it's not what he's supposed to do. But so then, let's uh, continue. When Robert comes back to um, see Branson, Isabel tells him that Cora is not well at all. And then Mrs. Hughes, he tells him that two more maids are ill. And at that moment, he asks if Jane is one of them. And Mrs. Hughes says no. But really, less subtle than that, where there's not. I'm like, Robert, truly, Mrs. Hughes, you see that she find it odd, like the question is odd, but subtlety is definitely not his second name. Like, what the hell? They just told you your wife is about 
maybe to die and you think about the maid truly like <laughs> and so then in Cora's room he's finally worried a bit because he realizes that yes she's not well and he says god almighty how can this be my whole life's gone over a cliff in the course of a single day because obviously he thinks about Branson and the fact that his daughter will leave him and his wife will maybe die. But when she was still fighting for life, he was kissing the maid next room. Nicely done, Robert. You know, I think that's what upsets me the most is the fact that they were next door. If they were somewhere else, I would be angry. But it's next door. Like, come on. And then actually to come at you, we thought that Cora would die. Uh, Julian, he made a comment where he said that or was made to suggest that it was Cora who was on the way out. And because he said, because with Cora dying, you have a lot of questions, like Robert could get married again. He could have a son, so an heir. You know, a lot of things could have happened. And when you see that, say, oh, that could have been a plot idea. Like Cora could have died and he could have done that. Thank God she didn't because not sure what I want to see what happened next if Cora was dead. But then yeah, so he says that uh, so they made everything to make the audience feel that it was Cora who uh, would die. And he says, I don't know if anyone was taken in. I mean, Julian, I was taken in. I thought that she was going to die. I don't know about you, but I was like, are you kidding? I mean, yeah. And then he comes to see her and O'Brien is still with her. And he says to O'Brien that he's very grateful for the way, for the way she looked after Cora, whatever comes. But he says that, I know there are a lot of people talking about it because he says that so almost casually. And then even after when, uh, when she's worse, like when, you know, when Clarkson says, if she lasts the night she live, if you compare to Mary or to Edith, uh, they are panicking because uh, our mother might die while it's happening. He is very, if he's calm, and I've seen uh, some people being a bit angry at that because he was too calm. But a part of me thinks that he never really realized what was happening. If you compare it to what is happening in season three, he has the same reaction. He stays standing and he feels like he can't move, but he's not crying. He feels like he's petrified and he tries to take in what is in front of him but he cannot you know when he like when he says my whole life gone over a cliff in the course of a single day he says what, what is happening like i'm sorry what and so you know i don't think it's because he didn't care I've, i truly think that at the moment he doesn't realize and i i would say again but i think it feels like sometimes he feels too many emotions and at the same time he feels nothing and he has a lot of, because I already uh, said it last episode about uh, have some episodes of derealization or depersonalization because of him being in depression. And him then waking up, you feel like he's not really into reality. And it's what happened with Jane. It's almost if his brain says, this is too hard for you to handle. So I'm not making you realize why it's happening. It's really weird what I'm saying. But yeah, I don't take it badly the fact that he's so stoic because I, some people just react differently. I'm pretty sure that if his wife had died, he would have cried all day and all night when he realized that she was gone. Because first, it's the love of his life. And then he cheated on her with the maid next door. So, yeah. But then, thank God, thank the Lord, Cora is alive. 
And then we have maybe, I think for me, the scene that breaks my heart the most. It's with the two of them. You see that she's very, very weak. And he says... A sight to gladden my heart. Is it? I hope it is. This breaks me. Because the first thing she says, is it? I hope it is. That Really, you happy to see me alive? Like, she hopes he's happy. But is the way she says it. It breaks me. To imagine that for a moment she would think that he would not be glad that she was alive. And then a shot that breaks my heart and I don't like is just when she, she lets her hand fall on the bed. Because how it's shot, it feels like she's dead. It's like when you see in movies when people die and then you have just the limbs that just fall flat. It feels just like that. When I just see that shot, just that, I don't like it. Then when he takes her hand, I like it. But just seeing her hand fall like that makes me sad because it makes you realize that she almost died. And the way she does it, it's almost, yeah, a desperate, desperate gesture to try to, to make up, to reconcile, to try to save the marriage. I don't know, maybe it's me, I'm going way too far, but if he's like that, if he's so desperate, I mean, yeah. And then she says, We're all right, aren't we, Robert? Of course we are. Only I know I got so caught up in everything, I think I neglected you, and if I did, I'm sorry. Don't apologize to me. It hurts me because the first thing she does, she almost died. First thing she does is to apologize to him. Maybe, yeah, she didn't pay him the same attention that she did before. But I think she did nothing wrong because for me, he could have told her directly, I miss you. Can we do something together? Because he always says, oh, I'm going to be alone at lunch and oh, you're going to do that, but we ne you're never with me. Oh, but you were supposed to do that with me. Always complaining instead of literally look her in the eyes and tell her, I miss you. I just want to have a moment with you, like just walk for 10 minutes or something. And I think that would have made the difference because she would have realized instantly that yes, because she was so busy, you know. So I think he should have told her that. It would have been so much easier. But instead he was complaining like this poor child and ooh, getting on everybody's nerves actually. Oh. And what makes me angry a bit is that when she asks if they're all right, it's because she realized that they were not. They were not all right. And they both know it. They need to rebuild their trust in each other and their relationship. They need to do something. But then he says, casually, oh, of course we are. I don't like it because, no, of course you're not. And the fact that she asked this is because she knows the answer is not. But I'm not saying that I want him to say, uh, no, we're not. But saying, well, it has been difficult, but now everything's going to be all right because you are alive. So, you know, something like that. But just the way he says, of course we are. And don't apologize to me. You were the one acting like a sport child for years. And I was... You, uh, but the fact is, he can't say that he's the one being sorry because, I mean, he should tell her why he's sorry and then, well, uh, <laughs> you know. So the question is, did she knew or not? I believe that she suspected that something happened because, again, if she thinks that she neglected him, she must have thought maybe something happened. I don't know if she knows exactly who, but I don't know why. I have a feeling that O'Brien might have told her. I don't think she would have told her to hurt her. Maybe she might have heard things because O'Brien, she knows a lot. Like she listens 
so I think she maybe sensed that there might be something, especially that, you know, he wasn't there most of the time. She was there, but he wasn't. The moment he was with Branson, the moment she's with her on the dressing room, he was not there at her side when she was ill. So she might have suspected some things and she must have said some things to Cora. I don't think to hurt her because she doesn't want to hurt her, but more to make sure that she knows and then Cora, she's not stupid. She just, you know, maybe deduced that it was. Maybe she hurt. Because I don't know if you hear when people are talking. Because they were not they were not shouting, they were talking. But I think maybe you hear the door like when the door is being open or closed. Maybe. And of course, if you hear the door, because there's two doors, several times, it might be suspicious. What do you think? I would love to hear. Please tell me. Let's have a discussion. I think if she doesn't know it now, at the end, like there's a moment she would know it because I think, I think, I don't know why, at the moment she knows. I'm sure she knows. And if she's not sure that it's Jane, I think she knows something might have happened. That is true. But I would love to talk about it if you have your own ideas. But then... So, last scene, through Jane and Robert, with some parts that were cut too, and, um, you know, let's just suffer together. So, um, they're in a library. Actually, he rang for Carson, but he forgot that he's here, so it's Jane who's here. Then she wants to leave, and he says, well, actually, can you stay? Because I've been trying to find a way to, uh, like, speak with you. Now you're here, so, hey, fate. But you see that she's not comfortable. Then, that was cut. But he tells her, you see, Lady Grantham's illness has reminded me what I owe her. And my question is, what does he owe her? I think a lot. But one of it is maybe the fact that he has money. So I'm asking you, what do you think he owes her? And so then Jane, she says that she's glad that Lady Grantham is better and that it's okay, no harm done. And then what he says was also cut, no harm done yet. We've resisted temptation once, but I wouldn't care to test myself again. Mm-hmm. And you know what? When I read that, I thought about Violet, so his mother, and realized that maybe they're not as different as they think. You know, with the, if I would have been testing and I would have failed, you know, bananas. But then she says that she is almost packed, that she has given her notice. And then he gives her money. Well, he says he gives her the name and the address of his man of business for Freddy. At first, she doesn't want to take it. And he says that he would make him happy if she would take it. And then she actually says, well, if that would make you happy, I would take it. And she asks him then, will you be happy? And he says, I have no right to be unhappy, which is almost the same. No comment. Well, yes, I will comment. But when I finish the scene, before leaving, she asks him if she can kiss him. And then there were lines that were cut. And she says, can I tempt you for one last time? And he answers, you do tempt me. You know you do. I dare not say how much. And, you know, they kiss. And she's really sad. But you see that he's too. And she's leaving. Uh-huh. The fact that he gives money for a son, I think about two things. First, I think she feels a bit bad because, because of him now she doesn't have a job anymore and she needs to work because of her son so it's a way also to repay the fact that because of him she lost her job but then i think if he's guilty too by this whole situation because i do believe she really fell in love with him 
but he couldn't offer what she wanted but if he's guilty to even make her think that it was possible i think so i think it's a way to make him feel less guilty and maybe also because she has a son and he doesn't i don't know i think it's a way to make him feel better and to repay himself i think he wants to feel useful because he doesn't like i said if he's empty hollow and unhappy and depressed and maybe knowing that he might have helped a boy for his future helps him to feel something and feel like he did something right or maybe like something right came out of all of this because there was nothing right in all these situations so i don't know but you know when he said that he owes cora some things he owes her the fact that he has money so the money he just gave for freddy is actually hers well not hers anymore because it's part of the estate we know but technically it was cora so it's cora who's giving money to the son of the woman with whom he cheated on her that's nice um yeah i don't know what to say i'm wretched the i have no right to be unhappy kills me every time your wife almost died and she's alive she apologized because she tried to neglect you like it takes you to have a relationship and they both made uh, mistakes but she took the blame for everything and the only thing he has to say is i have no right to be unhappy really i thought your whole life had gone over a cliff and now you hadn't because okay your child is living but your wife is alive like are you kidding me like i need happiness right now with this episode gives me almost nothing every time it gives you a bit of happiness it just crushed it my only happiness was Bates and anna getting married and now he will be there oh my god robert's gonna be so wretched with that i just realized it oh my god how, how is he supposed to get out of depression with that oh boy oh dear um well poor boy robert but then just to talk about if someone else is new about jane and robert before jane leaves she's with mrs hughes and she tells her that her leaving is for the best no it's for the best for everyone and mrs hughes says you know when all is said and done you may be right and you see how she looks at her like i think she sensed there was something maybe she didn't know how far it went but she definitely knew there was something going on with robert because like i said mrs hughes she knows everything so yeah i think i've already said a lot what i want to say about robert and cora but it feels like he doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that no their relationship no it's not all right but if he's so guilty about what he did that he doesn't want to say anything because he i think he's afraid of well of letting something slip like of, of saying that he's been a faithful and i think he's afraid that she might leave him because right now i think he really realized that he can't live without her like he was the worst mistake he ever made in his life like he loves her very very much and he's i think he's afraid that he's going to lose her with that or maybe just me but yeah i know i took his defense a lot uh but i'm still angry i'm not saying but with everything that happened with Cobert, that is not the story on where i'm the most angry at him truly because let's just say i can forgive him for that once you know i digest everything that he did and said but it's the accumulation with all the things that are going <laughs> to happen that makes me you know like it's the accumulation that will make me really angry with him but at the end of the day i still love him 
And like I already said, you have the right to not agree with me. Actually, the first time I watched the show, I did not thought like that. It was uh, maybe the second time I watched it. But I always loved Robert because I love his relationship with Cora, actually, even if in season two, it's completely a disaster. And I already said uh, last episode that the reason why, some reason are actually very personal. But I can give you actually one reason why I like him so much and I find him excuses. It's Hugh Bonneville. I blame him. Like, truly, I can blame him because I love the guy so much. He feels like he's such a nice guy. And I don't know, like, I've never met him, but he, he seems so nice. And I love him so much that he makes, he makes me love Robert. Actually, it's Elizabeth who said that, you know, that Robert can be a bit idiotic at times. I would have said another word, but, you know, better to be polite. But, and she said, but he gives him a love, lovability. And it's truly that. Like, I don't know. He, he looks like a teddy bear. I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I blame him. Let's just blame Hugh Bonneville for uh, why I love Robert so much. So, <clears throat> that's it for this episode. And me trying to find excuses for Robert and talking about Robert for literally half the episode. I'm really sorry if you don't really like them, but I mean, this episode we had a lot. Oh my god, those deleted scenes. Are you still okay? You know, if you managed to listen until now, are you alright? Did you suffer like me? I'm <laughs> so mean. But before uh, wrapping this up, I wanted to share with you some fanfictions. Cobert fanfictions, I'm sorry for people that ship all the people and they're all about this episode what happens in between episode 8 and the Christmas special so when Cora she is alive thank god so the first one it's so I have two it's what we call one shots so they're all on fan fiction the first one is by Dream of Ragtime and it's called Negotiating Thin Ice and this one I don't know how many times I've read it it is absolutely beautiful it's how they got back together after all this it's so beautifully written i don't know how many times i've read it oh and yeah it's m rated just to warn you if you don't really like that but it's just so it's perfect truly like yeah the other one shot is by random abilling and it's called reaching ithaca i love this one it's a second person narrative and i don't think i have read a lot of things written like that and so it's written like you talk to robert with the you it's robert and it's just so good like yeah go check this out and i have two much chapters the first one is by sarah km and it's called are we all right and oh my god this is amazing there's 10 chapters if i'm not mistaken it really gives you what might have happened between episode 8 and the Christmas special. But maybe you should see the Christmas special before reading that because uh, it really leads you to a happy note. But it's so good. Like you have everything that the characters feel and the, the angst and the insecurities. It's just so... I know I loved it. I was in it. It was so good. I know I just keep telling the same thing. Like it's so good. But it is. You know, if it wasn't good, I would not share that with you. But it is. You know, it's of course it's different. Like all the these authors, they write with different styles, but they're all good. It, it it's different. I love it. And the other one, actually, it's more you can only read it if you have seen the whole show because it would spoil you. 
but I love it because I actually read it a long time ago and recently uh, thanks to Tumblr I stumbled on it again and so I read it and said okay this is perfect because it's an answer to what if Cora realized that Robert gave money to Jane's son it takes place in the future so if you have not seen the whole show do not read that because it will spoil you but it's also by Random Abilling and it's called The Art of Perception so good and again you have the insecurity of Cora because sometimes you feel like she's angry at him but she's even more angry at herself because she thinks that it's a bit her fault if he cheated on her and you have all her insecurities about her being older and I don't know it's um yeah I love it so yeah it was just me sharing that with you if you like to read fan fictions and so yeah, I already said that but before wrapping this up I just wanted to talk about season two as a whole. You know, as a whole, I realized that I like this season. <laughs> I like it because I think we saw the characters into a different light, and I quite like it. About the storylines, one of the most heartbreaking ones, I'm still on William and Daisy. I'm still sad that William died. Someone had to die, and the fact that he was him and he was really loved, it, it counts. I'm sad that he did, but he had to. Um, but I like the fact that Daisy and William became actually then the beginning of a new story on for Daisy and then she redeveloped a relationship with uh, Mr. Mason so that I like and I like Mrs. Pampomo her relationship with Daisy it evolves too and you see that she considers her like her daughter a bit and I like it Thomas I really liked him he gets on my nerves a lot but I really liked him because we saw that when he was really frightened you know the war we saw when he was at his most vulnerable and now you know he's afraid because he doesn't have a job anymore so he wants to go back to downtown so i like it because like i said we see something different of every character and i quite like thomas even if he gets on my nerves o'brien i think she's the one that surprised me the most it's not even we saw a different light we saw another like it's the other side of the coin like we ended with her killing cora's baby because she was so mad and then she was really nice with Mr. Lang and then with Cora at the end you feel like she almost cried and she would have cried if Cora died so it's nice to see yeah different version but that was the most surprising I'm not a big fan of her I think I prefer Thomas to her because well she did kill Cora's baby but I think she's very interesting and sometimes she has really great lines so yeah I think Ethel was an interesting character well this, her storyline is really interesting because I think it kind of reflected what Gwen wanted, you know, in other life, out of service. But it was the attitude, like I told you, the attitude was different. But I like her storyline. It's really sad, but, but it's very true to what might have happened. But I like the, in this storyline, that we realized that the family was more comprehensive and ready to be helpful with her than Carson. But when I say the family, I think about Cora or Isabel, even Robert, they felt really sorry for her. And then what Carson said, he felt sorry for her. But, you know, he was all in about all that being her fault. So, yeah, I, I like that. And Mrs. Hughes, Mrs. Hughes, she's the best. That is a good summary of a character. Well, Anna Bates, should we really talk about that? Anna Bates, no rest. Absolutely no rest. Like, when you think it's going to be all right, no. I mean... Yes, they're going to get married. No, his wife's coming back. 
and then oh yes i'm coming back and then, oh no my wife is still here then oh yes i can get a divorce oh no i can't and oh where well, she's dead and oh yes we're married and oh yeah now i'm arrested like oh, no rest at all and that is so tiring i love anna and i quite like them together but just i just want to breathe at one point for them like you can't and yeah i feel sorry for them a lot Sabre and Brenton, I'm happy that they have a happy ending. But really, at the beginning, I was not a fan. I'm still not a big fan, but at the beginning, not at all. I thought he was too full of himself. He wanted so much to persuade her. Like, she was not sure and she had the right to not be sure. But I like the fact that at the end, she says, yes, I'm in love with him. And yes, I want to marry him. And I will. Because, well, it's Sybil. We knew this was going to happen. And yeah, like I said, it's Sybil. And I love her character in season two. The fact that she's working... It's so simple. We knew she was going to do something different. So I love the fact that she took her, her life in her hand and she said, well, I'm, I'm going to be a nurse. Like she worked, she worked hard to be a nurse and she became one. And yeah, I really like Sybil. I really like her in this season. And now I can accept their relationship. I'm not a huge fan, but I'm not against it either. I'm like uh, in between. Even Edith this season, because season one, there's a moment you're like, Edith, you can't really stand her at some point. Season two, I mean, she found some purpose, even if she kissed the farmer. She realized that she needed to find a purpose, find something to do, to not be so angry at Mary all the time. You know, because then if she has something for herself, she doesn't need to be jealous of Mary. And I, I think she uh, had a good evolution this, this season. Really, you, you start to like her. I really do like her, like how she took care of William, how she took care even of the, the soldiers. The only, only story I already told you that I really don't like was the Major Gordon. That I think was useless and I think it really broke Edith's heart and that was just the point of it. I think the only thing that came out of it was breaking Edith's heart and I'm really upset by this. But yeah. And then the last sister and her love square i like mary's evolution too she's less self-centered less selfish except when she's really angry but it's more like when she a bit afraid of her emotions that she preferred to be angry or in control of everything than just to um burst into tears but she tried to take control of her life you know she said well i can't be with matthew i will be with richard Carlyle because he can provide me with a position he's rich then there's a, the scandal so he bought the scandal so yeah, I think she really tried to, because she realized she couldn't be with Matthew and there was Lavinia and she was nice to Lavinia. And that I like it because, well, Lavinia was a nice girl, we said it. But I like the fact that she really was nice to her. And even if at the time she thought she could be with Matthew when uh, Lavinia left because Matthew asked her to, she accepted the fact that they're going to get married, you know. So, yeah, but we know Mary and Matthew, they are meant to be together. That's, that's the thing. But it's complicated, really complicated. But Richard, at the beginning, I was not completely against him. I didn't like him. But now I dislike him, you know. You know, like Violet says, I don't dislike him. I just don't like him. Well, now I dislike him. He's scary. I really think he's scary because, well, he has something of Mary. Like, he can destroy her. And he plays with that to make sure that she's going to marry him. But he has a right to be threatened, you know, because, yes, she's still in love with Matthew. But I don't like the methods. Like, he's not a good guy. And, 
why Robert hates him. So, yeah. Uh, but now Lavinia is dead. The problem is sad that she's dead, really. Like, it's what Carson says, you know, I didn't want her here, but I had no problem with her being happy somewhere else. And it's exactly what I feel. Because I think she's a nice girl, really. And I really love this last episode. Her character in this last episode, the fact that she actually wants to take her life in her own hands, where well, it's sad that she dies, but, you know, yeah, that's sad. And Matthew, I can understand him, why he doesn't want to be with Mary now, because he would feel like he cheated. And I can understand it. And I feel sorry for both of them. <laughs> because, well, you know, Anna and Bates is different, because whatever happened, they were together. The world wanted them to be together, but they ended up together anyway. Mary and Matthew is different. Like, the world wants them to be together, but at the end, they don't want to be together. Like, they want to, but they don't. I don't know if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. And well, Cora and Robert had to finish on that. I kind of like this season for Cora because we saw her differently. For the first time, she worked a bit for herself and not, well, well, she still cares about her children, but we saw her differently and her being in charge of the house and the covenants and so on. Like her argument with Isabel is one of the best scenes ever because she literally states, hey, this is my house. And Robert, when he's angry, we know when you have this whole talk about the convalescents and, you know, he kind of explodes at that moment because uh, this is still my house. Love those scenes because they really say, hey, it's our house. But Cora, I think she... Like I said, I don't think she felt useless before um, the war, but like she, she discovered something new. You know, like she opened a door that she didn't know was there. You know, she can't have missed something she never had, but at the moment she discovered something new and now she will miss it because she tasted to, uh, like Sybil said, a full day, tired in a good way. Like, yeah. And you feel like she's proud of herself. She should be. So um, I feel sad about Robert's because I don't think he acknowledged the fact that she worked hard. I would have loved him to, like I said, to tell her, I miss you, but you do such a great work. You know what I mean? Because I'm still sure that if he had told her, I don't know if he did because we do not see everything, but I'm sure that if he had told her, I really do miss you. I just want to have a moment once, just the two of us. I think she would have made time because she would have realized that he does miss her. But just saying it like a sport child, like, I don't want to go to things without you. He really feels like a sport child. So obviously she's like, don't be a baby. And I'm going to say it again, but her style. Hey, I haven't said that in this episode, how pretty she is. I'm going to say that in the end. Her style in season two, it's... Oh. I talked about it really recently with someone on Tumblr, where I just said, you know... I just love her style that the world could be ending, but hey, Cora, she's so fucking pretty. Sorry for the swear word, but yeah, I mean, oh, I love it. And the dresses are really simple, but God, I just love the cuts of it. Like, um, I don't know, it just suits her very well. And I think she's really pretty, which is why I absolutely do not understand why Robert looked at the maid. I love Cora in this season, even if sometimes, you know, with her reaction to Mary and Matthew and Richard, I did not agree with it. I knew what she, why she did it and I felt really sorry for her because Robert might be depressed, but she had so many things on her mind. I mean, the scandal was in 1913, okay? It's been six years she's holding on to it and hoping that Mary would be settled so she could breathe. And Robert, where well, we said he was in depression, he still is. And I'm not going to take his defense again, but you know, yeah, I do forgive him. 
because I am part of the Robert Apology Society. It really hurt me to see him so downcast. I feel like his life had no value. I think he also has trouble to say what he feels, you know, because I think he has trouble expressing his emotion. I'm not saying that he does not do it because I think he expresses emotion towards Cora more than she does. But truly what he thinks deep down in his heart, you know, like speaking uh, from the heart, like truly, I think he has the trouble to do that. And maybe he should have done it with Cora, but like really, like, and the whole Pamuk situation in the middle where still doesn't know about it. It's sure this is the reason why they grew up. I'm really angry at him about Jane, but I've forgiven him. Yeah, I'm saying it. I'm angry every time I see it and I remember it, but I did. I put everything on the depression, okay? <laughs> that does not excuse everything, but I do feel sorry for him. And he stopped. I wish he would have stopped before it started, but he stopped before going to bed with her. So we're glad for that. I think now he would try to make his marriage work where I hope he will but yeah again I found him excuses <laughs> oh I'm incorrigible but I'm still angry you know still angry yep so that's the end of this very 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 long episode I already know that editing this will be a nightmare but um, I hope you enjoyed it I know it's very long but I hope in the end you enjoyed it even if it was like the angstiest episodes of this season but i hope you enjoyed it or you enjoyed suffering with me like usual if uh, you want to chat with me you can send me an, a message anywhere you know if you want to talk about this episode this season the show whatever something else the weather i don't know anything feel free to send me a message truly and well so we finished season two well not quite because we have the christmas special but this is a special episode so yeah that's definitely the end uh i will see you next sunday to talk about the christmas special of season two can't wait and i love christmas so you know it's really really hot at the moment so you know christmas and snow maybe will make me feel like it's uh, less hot but i'm so excited for this one and well until then stay safe take care of yourself stay hydrated and don't forget, vive la différence!